You are now entering the Mix You podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of the Mix You podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. My name is Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here with my two great friends, Andrew Stone and Lee Fields. How you doing, boys? I'm doing fantastic. So glad to hear your voice, Jeff. Man, you too. We are coming fast and furious to the holidays, and it's just been kind of a crazy uh, fall season, but we finished our final Mix You events of the year. So guys, why don't you give everybody a recap of what we've been doing since September? We had DC, Dallas, and Nashville. Fill everybody in on what we what we had in those three events. Man, I'll tell you the first thing. Uh, first thing, this year's been great for all the all the uh, mixed shoes. We've got. Um, I tallied up the attendance here a minute ago. We've had eight hundred and fifty eight legit people come and hang out at these events with us. Uh, how many? This year. How many illegitimate people have we had? I think we've had a couple <laughs> illegitimate. So I just counted the legit <laughs> the legit ones. Eight hundred fifty eight. That's pretty cool this year. So uh, that's amazing. If you're listening and you came to one, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming out and uh, rocking with us. Um, but one thing notable for those three, uh, we've been using the Adamson PA for the all three of those shows, right? These last yeah, three. We, yeah, we had our first experience with Adamson in D.C. in September. Yeah. And uh, we have all been really impressed. I think surprisingly so at how well that, little PA has performed. I'm not so for, completely sh- Yeah. I'm not completely sure if I knew what to expect when we rolled into DC. It was kind of a, I think we're yeah, all it was like, a big question mark. Yeah. yeah so like, for our listeners who weren't there, why don't you guys talk for a minute about what was surprising about it to you and what you love about it? Cause I think well, we would all agree. What was surprising is that it was good because I hated their old stuff. And I told them that. <laughs> but the old stuff I didn't really like. And I, I told uh, Mick, one of their guys, I'm like, where'd this thing come from? Like, what the heck? And it's really cheap. That's what we really liked about it is like list price on that box is around 4000 bucks. Yeah. And it has the same output on paper as a seven and $8,000 uh, the competitors. So... That's why that's why we liked it. It's been super consistent. This is not a paid post, by the way. Yeah. We're just I don't know if they want to. Way, but uh, we'll yeah, take it's it. Been great. <laughs> yeah, they can they can send that money right on over. Come on, boys! It, it cashes down here from Canada. It'll work. I mean, I love Spectrix and Metrics. Wait a second. <laughs> that was the best PA I've ever used in 1992. <laughs> you know what I noticed? Uh, for for when we do put these shows together, we. Um, we kind of sum all of our outputs into one desk and then just just feed the house system as simply as we can, just uh, left, right, and subs. So I usually end up tuning, giving it a, a, a cursory tuning, you know, after it's optimized from whoever brought it in. And, you know, the guys have input. We just get it all happy. This was the first time I told you guys in D.C. that I felt like my tracks translated like they do in my room. Like in the room we, we do all the big events in. And I yeah, didn't fight really it. Cool. It was crazy. And you guys noticed it too. You're like, man, you're, you're not fighting, like just getting your tracks to replicate. Yeah. Uh, it was, in this you room. finally sounded decent. It was awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Uh, well, I just, you know, I don't download all my stuff from the internet like you do. So, you know, I had to work at it. I just hit this, just hit the space bar. Yeah, that's right. I noticed that right off. Like we tuned it up. And in fact, I think that first time, well, it took all of 20 minutes and we were like tuned and the rig sounded good. And we were like, let's, let's yeah. rock. So yeah, it's really been, cool. That's been a cool addition. These last three. I was just going to talk about all the great food we had in each of those cities. <laughs> you are kind of the <laughs> food aficionado the for whenever we travel, aren't you? Yeah. DC founding farmers. That's true. Come on. So for those, of, that place. for those of you who don't know Lee personally, his Yelp game is stunning. Strong he, too, partly strong. He, yeah, he will find us the best places to eat and hang, and um, th- that's the best part about Mix You for me is getting to hang with these guys. Not only to learn from them, but then to go and eat and just continue the conversation. So, thank you all for being here as we continue the conversation even more on the podcast. Um, 
Lee, you want to give us a few stats on the podcast this year? Because this is episode oh, yeah. seven, yeah, but we're um, we've been blown away by what's been happening. We uh, we cracked thirty thousand last week, so that's pretty amazing. Thirty thousand downloads, listens, plays across six episodes. So crazy. That's roughly around five thousand of you guys per episode. It's pretty pretty awesome. So thanks for that. Yeah, thanks for being a and, part of all that. It's it's and from all over the world too. Like the majority is in the U.S. and then Canada, and then um, Australia, I believe, is in third place. And then a few countries in Europe are pretty close. Uh, Sweden, the U.K. Um, yeah, pretty awesome. So speaking of Sweden, we mm. have a special announcement for. Um, our next Mix You, which is actually in January. So coming up in less than two months, we're going to be in Sweden live and in person doing our first Mix You international event. And we could not be more excited. Andrew, you want to tell us a little bit yeah. more about that? Man, this has been uh, this has been a cool one. Uh, Jeff and I made a, a quick run over there a um, month or so ago to speak at the Swedish Gurus of Tech conference. And, um, it's really busy. So we, we, man, where were we? We were at, uh, was it Infocom or WFX? And we had a busy week. And so we, we hopped over there and, and spoke and spent time with the, the team over there. And it was awesome. And I think everyone just knew that the time was right to, uh, put a mix you together over there. There's a great segment of church techs in that area in Sweden and from all over that part of Europe um, that are really could, can use this kind of information and what we do. So we teamed up with the guys to, um, to, to try to pull this together over there. What's cool about the people attending and that are, that are the guys pulling off church over there is nobody's paid. So I know that comes as a shock to some and, and some of you volunteers are like, well, yeah, I don't get paid either, but here's the deal. In the entire region, countries, Scandinavia, across a lot of Europe, it's volunteers only. I mean, that's it. And if they want to attend a conference or anything, it's out of their own pocket. I mean, it's strictly um, volunteers everywhere. So that is a really unique part of going and doing this over there is uh, we're going to go pull one of these off and try to just serve these guys and keep the cost as absolutely low as we can. So, you know, they can kind of experience some of this too. So we're excited. I think they're excited um, for it. If, you, if you're listening to this and you're in that area and you want to make it over there, uh, you can jump on our website and, and get all the details. Uh, but it's January 20th. It's a Saturday. It's in Uppsala, which is just north of Stockholm. And uh, we're, it's going to kill. We're, we're bringing all the stuff just like we would here um, to that area. So... I think it's going to rock. And I think, Jeff, when we were there, you did the conversion of what the temperature will be when we'll be there. Yeah, it'll be um, negative negative a billion. Negative a billion is how cold it's going to be. Yeah. Oh, sorry, guys. I can't go. So, Lee, from, (laughs) from, from, uh, you know, sunny California, you're probably going to have to, you know, get like a jean jacket or something before you come. (laughs) Yeah, right. Guys, I think it would be fun, though, if we did some sort of like, live from Sweden thing for the podcast. So um, note to self, we're going to try to at least record some stuff from that event that we can share with you uh, in an upcoming podcast. Because I think it'd be great for our listeners to hear from some of the Swedes and some of the Norwegians who are going to be there to just sort of remind everybody that this is a a global thing that we're about and that the church is alive and well. um, And we're so excited to be sharing this with, with a lot of different people. Well, something that's that's cool about this whole thing, Jeff, uh, that pertains to you in particular, is uh, your Swedish, you know, blood that you have in your in your bloodline <laughs> coursing I don't through know if, my veins. Yes. I don't know if you guys know it, but uh, we, Jeff and I, were able to spend a little time um, with with some of the guys looking around through Stockholm before we went to the airport on the way out, and we may or may not have happened to stumble across. Um, the ABBA Museum, uh, which has a hotel, by the way, Lee, uh, when you're looking at Yelp, you need to check that out. Um, I mean, the ABBA Hotel, give me a break. What's cooler than that? Oh, is that and, 
Is that like a famous chain of hotels, the ABBA? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you may need to look ABBA up on Wikipedia there, young guy. It's so, just A-B-A-H. <clears throat> A-A-B-H, yeah. So I'm just going to say <laughs> I perhaps I took a picture, a few pictures, where I noted the name Sandstrom being used quite a bit uh, in the native tongue. So... I think that with this live recording that we're, you know, some live segments we're going to do, perhaps we'll see what we're going to hear Jeff speaking in Swedish. So, I mean, I think, I think that that's would be awesome. Lee, do you think that's, I mean, he doesn't do it a lot here. I just think just so he doesn't make us feel bad that he's multilingual, but yeah, I, I guess I'm just still, still trying to figure out why we would go to a hotel museum <laughs> to hear Jeff talk. <laughs> I don't Oh, you guys are idiots. I need to, I'll, uh, I feel like I'm missing something. I'll put a flow chart together, but I, it's hard for me to do on a podcast because I need like an easel and stuff like that. I can get that to you. Maybe okay. it's like a, is this like a World War II museum or something? Like, so anyway, long and short, come on out to Sweden, to Sweden, uh, if you're in the area, support, support the, uh, the community there. It's, it's, in all seriousness, it's, uh, very, very cool and it's dear to our hearts. So, so, we're also doing one other mix you in January because we're going to kick off our 2018 domestic season uh, as we have the last couple of years in sunny Southern California in Anaheim the day before the NAM show starts on January 24th at Saddleback. So guys, give us a peek into what's going to be new for mix you version 3.0. Oh baby, we are excited. And the biggest change is consoles. So we are changing how we do each of our own consoles in that we are doubling the consoles. So Andrew will be mixing on two consoles and not two of the same, like he likes to, but two <laughs> different consoles. Now hold it. You guys, did, you guys didn't on, tell me I couldn't do that. This, is a, this might be a problem. Two different I consoles. Two, I got to do two different ones. Oh, crap. All right. Yeah. You need two different A2s also? Is that, is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, we gotta, we're going to have to get more hotels and stuff, Lee, so get this sorted out. <laughs> I'm going to mix on two consoles, and Jeff's going to mix on two consoles. So um, I'll be mixing on a CL5, and I'm adding the Allen & Heath D-Live. Yay. A lot of people have been uh, interested in that one. Jeff is going to mix on... Uh, the turntable 5,000, I mean the waves LV (laughs) one and a Digico. And then my favorite one here, Andrew is going to mix on the SSL L 500 and drum roll Behringer X 32. Boom. Bring it on Behringer. (laughs) There you have it. And the reason for that is that we wanted to be able to represent a console from every price point across the spectrum and to give attendees a picture into any number of consoles that they might actually be using in their context. So, you know, we say all the time that these consoles and this gear is really just a tool to get great results. And so we want to give more and more examples of different tools that we all use week to week to make our environments happen. We're also, we haven't finalized this yet, but it, it feels like we're going to do this for the next season of Mixed Use is we're all going to take a song, the same song, the same group of tracks, and all three of us are going to mix the same song independently on our own desks just to see how I would approach a a band and get somewhere, how Stone would do the same thing, how Jeff would do the same thing. So that's going to be really interesting. I'm really curious to see how that's going to turn up. And we have more surprises in store. So those are just a couple of the kind of tidbits that we can let you know for now. Uh, but we're excited about our third year of Mix You coming up. So even if you've been to Anaheim before and you've seen us at Saddleback, just know that this year is going to be uh, different and even better than what you've seen in the past. And we'll have the Adamson PA in Anaheim also this time. So that'll be great. And it is uh, the day before NAM as well. Same, same. Place. And if you've been there before, it's in a big, big space this time. So, uh, yeah, we changed rooms. Yeah, whole uh, whole different experience. So, uh, and that one's on sale. So these uh, these ones right out of the gate, you can jump on our on our website at uh, mxu.rocks and 
and get you right to uh, tickets if you're interested. I don't know Sweet. why you wouldn't be interested. You know, hate us or something like that, but you know, maybe you can tell a cool friend about it. Maybe they'll be interested. Yeah, maybe they want to get rocked. Come on, people. Yeah, come on, people. We don't pay for marketing. It's up to you. Spread the word. That's right. Um, and then um, this is big news. This is really big news. We have something to announce that we've never done before. Are we ready to announce this? I am you, really excited you, about this. You think they, you think everybody can handle it? I cannot handle this. How awesome this is going to be. This is like Christmas. The problem is it's going to piss some people off because it's not for everyone and not everyone can go. We're just going to call it like it is. But here's the thing. We totally realize the traditional mix you event that we've had great success with. It's definitely, it is what we say it is. It's, um, it's a conversation. It's an all day conversation between the three of us and a couple hundred people in a room about mixing. We get asked a lot. Well, I want to go further. Can you help me with this? All of us get DMS every day from anything from people trying to sell us fake line arrays from Nigeria to, Hey, how, can you help me with this mix? Or can you uh, take a listen to this or, you know, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a brand new mix you event and it's going to be called mix you all access. And here's what it is. The three of us guys have rented a ranch just South of Nashville, Tennessee for three days the week after Easter, we are going to allow 20 people only and just 20 to come hang out with us for three days in Nashville at a 13,000 square foot house. Beautiful. We're going to have great food. We're going to have great people around and we're going to have consoles all over this house. Lots of different kinds of consoles. Hopefully the types of consoles that you are actually mixing on because here's the coolest part. We want you to bring your tracks to mix you all access. And the three of us are going to help you mix your own tracks for three days. How cool is that? 20 people only with the three of us for three days. Okay. But here's the deal. 10 of those 20 spots are already spoken for. So here are the details. The week after Easter, 2018, Franklin, Tennessee, 10 spots left, $1,500 a seat. The three of us with you and your tracks for three days, you will leave with a better product than what you bring in. Come on, people. Boom. So if you're interested in attending an event like this, to spend three days with us, send us an email to info at Mix you Rocks, and we will hold your spot, but not for long. There's only 10 of these things left, and they're going to go quick. We're going to take this thing mega public and put it on social media soon. So if you think you're interested or want to bring some people, let us know ASAP. This is a... Uh... This is pretty exciting. Just listening to the the description of it, I uh, I would really like to attend. If so, I'm going to send ourselves an email, see if you guys will let me be there. It's going to be great. You want me to mix your tracks? Could, I could I could really use some help, Lee. So uh, okay. if you could really help dig me out of the hole. I'll have an X32 there yes. for you. Perfect, perfect. I may have to Y some channels together to get down to that channel count, but I'll, <laughs> I'll figure it out. You know what I'm most excited for about this event? The food. Yeah, there's <laughs> a theme usual. with our traveling, I think. <laughs> well, we're going to have Monel's cater. And if you haven't been to Monel's, it's like the best meat and three ever. They're going to cater all the meals for us. So that's pretty awesome. And I ain't told you guys this yet. I told my mom we were going to do this. You know, she lives in Knoxville. And she was like, can I come and be like the house mom and like take care of everybody for a few days? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, Mom, that sounds perfect. Well, She's she, so excited. She's going to come and hang out. She'll keep my uh, my tea bin full. That's good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she'll like make us make our beds and do the dishes. And <laughs> Oh. Actually, she didn't make me do any of that. She won't do that at all. Yeah, this is going to be great. It's, my wife uh, wishes she made me do dishes. I, my wife has asked me a little bit about that one. Like, so how many, how many bedrooms are there in the place? And I'm like, don't even go there. Right. It, it's work. It's all going to be work and maybe a little food. All work. You'd hate it. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Um, so in my house, it's been Christmas since July because the freaking Hallmark channel. Those Hallmark Christmas but, uh, movies Jeff, are killing me. It's, don't it's even been get that way started. at my house, too. Oh crap! And now, and now, Jeff, you're doing a Christmas tour. I am. So I'm uh, getting ready to leave right after Thanksgiving, 
to be a part of the K-Love Christmas Tour with Stephen Curtis Chapman. So I'm mixing uh, for him, and it's going to be a great couple of weeks. It's uh, it's kind of crazy, though. It's 20 shows in 25 days. So it's uh, <laughs> it's a lot of travel and a lot of Christmas music, but working with those guys is always just such a pleasure. So I'm excited about it, and I'm really um, looking forward to being a part of it. But it reminded me of just some of the pressure that we feel sometimes around the holidays. So guys, especially for you two who lead church teams week to week to week, you know, you're gearing up for extra services, extra rehearsals, maybe some extra volunteer time. Let's, what would you say to the church directors out there who are responsible for leading those teams? Well, what can we kind of encourage them with as we come into the holidays to just make it a little easier to manage some of the chaos this year? I got four words for you. Give it to me. Less gear, more people. Less gear, more people. We are really doubling down on spending more of our production budget to make sure we have more hands, more labor, doing stuff to really take care of people. Less moving lights, less lasers, less gags. Man, that's just really really good. You know, I just, our team's getting older in life, different seasons of life, almost everybody's married, a lot of kids running around. So I just think it's different now, you know, so we're just trying to make sure that there's those dates in December that have nothing on them so that I can go Christmas shopping with my kids, you know, and trying to keep the rehearsals during the day, not till 2 a.m. Like stuff's still going to happen, but we're really going into this season thinking about that first and less about wowing people with the show if i can say that if that makes sense that's really good makes a lot of sense yeah well and i think i don't think we're going to get it totally right but i think because we're trying to think through that lens it'll be better and i know for me as i'm getting older i kind of feel like i don't i don't want to say that it's all been done because it hasn't and we can still be super creative and we can still be engaging but i just don't know that we need to wow everybody with the latest version of Trans-Siberian Orchestra anymore. I think right. I think Jesus is what is most engaging about Christmas. And I think if we can keep it about him and keep it about margin and family and relationships, that's going to be the thing that translates to our people. Um, so that's that's such a great word, Lee. I'm glad to hear you guys are doing that. Yeah, I just I just feel like I want to I want to still be excited about doing Christmas shows in 10 years and the pace at which, at which we once ran, you know, I would need to be able to just go, Hey, like every three or four of these, I just need to bow out and just take the month off or do something different. So we're just trying to go like, how can we still be excited about doing Christmas service 10 years from now? That's good for us. Stone, aren't you guys changing up what you're doing too, man? It's a, It's pretty crazy. We've done, in fact, we've almost are known for, uh, we can't get rid of it, known for the, how crazy can you get with your Christmas stuff? We've done all kinds of stuff. And I'll just be honest with you, nobody's into it. (laughs) Nobody's into it this year. (laughs) I I don't think any of us care. Um, We made a decision uh, a few months ago that we're just going to do a normal month in December. Yeah, it's Christmas and there's some extra stuff and all that. But for the first Christmas since I've been working uh, Church on the Move for 13 years, I'll be home on Christmas Eve. Like, wow. Home, like from like two or three o'clock the whole on. day. Well, no, well, it's a Sunday, so there's just regular Sunday services. Oh, yeah. And we'll be home. And it's the whole thing about the team health and the health of our volunteers and their families and, and my family, my wife, is more important than doing some big ooh and ah show. And it's exactly what you said, man. Um, not to quote some crappy slogan t-shirt, but Jesus is the reason for the season. I remember that one. Yeah. It really is. We're not changing our our tone. We want to have people come in to church. We want to have them rejoice in, in what the Christmas season's all about. Uh, but I'd like to go home. And I'd like my family and I'd like my team's family to not resent church this Christmas. So... One thing to, you know, you, the words I would suggest to you, 
is uh, don't forget to love your team, man. I think we get into Christmas all the time and we've all done these massive events and some of you are, are getting ready to do one. Good for you. Just remember, love your team. Don't forget that. That team is a family. Your volunteers are a family. They have extended families that are part of what you do and part of the schedule you make, whether you like it or not. Remember that. So it's like what Lee said. Go home at night. Believe it or not, God's big enough to make sure your service is going to happen in case you, with even without you not being there until 3 a.m. Stay at home. Stay at home long enough to see your kids in the morning and get them to school. Don't throw all caution to the wind because that that's completely counterintuitive to the entire thing we're doing about serving and all that. So um, it's Christmas. I'm actually looking forward to having a few days break after Christmas between Christmas and New Year's and not being a zombie. Like where I'm actually a normal human that doesn't hate everyone. You know, it's going to be a good year. Yeah, it's good. That's awesome. Jeff, on the other hand, I'll be a zombie. 20,000 shows in four days. <laughs> in 20 days. When is your tour done, Jeff? It's done actually on the 17th. So it's the week before Christmas. So I'll. Oh, so oh, that's cool. before school yeah, gets out too, perfect. huh? Yeah, it's perfect. So Fast and Furious until like right after Thanksgiving till mid-December and then a bit of a, a break man, before Christmas. So it's good. You can, you can gargle peanut butter for 20 days, man. You can kill that. Absolutely. <laughs> Gargled peanut butter. <laughs> I might try I a, that. Actually. I had an old tour it's manager good. tell me that like 20 years ago. And every now and then it comes out. And I'm like, man, I feel like I'm a farmer out in the middle of the field. And I just said some terrible. I was like, <laughs> I'm supposed to say things like that. No, you. Yeah. Did you go to catering tonight? No, I just gargled peanut butter for half an hour. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we gave our listeners a challenge. Uh, in our last episodes and we sort of created this um, campaign called turn down for mix you. So we challenged you guys to send us your best quotes from real requests or demands from people who said it's too loud, turn it down. And so um, demands demands. They're they're definitely definitely demands. demands. So we have a couple that we, that have come in that we wanted to share. So stone, what do we got? These are these are amazing, and by the way, keep them coming, guys. Man, we've gotten a lot of submissions, and these are amazing to read. So keep them coming. Send them to our email address info at mixu uh, info at mxu rocks, and uh, we'll keep going through them and throwing some on here. But here's here's two. You we can also out. well, they can also take a picture of them and just hashtag turn down for mxu. Yeah, we'll see we'll it that, get them way, that way too. too. Because the pictures of are, these are pretty good. In priceless. fact, one of one of these we're going to show is a is a picture, and it's unbelievable. We'll we'll describe it here. But here, I'll give you the one that's just a, a statement here. So, um, so this is how it was set up on the email uh, from this uh, from this guy. Uh, what you're about to hear was written not written on a card, but rather yelled to me as he stormed out of the room during worship. Okay, so we all have that in our heads. Here's the quote, and I'm going to kind of say it the way I think it was probably said. Uh, So let me get this right. If I wanted to listen to bar music, I'd meet you at the bar. (laughs) (laughs) I love your reenactment. Because I'm going there right now. (laughs) So, so incredible. So, you who submitted that, you know who you are. I won't say your name on the air. This <laughs> well is uh, done. very well, well done. done. Thanks for the submission. That's cool. So, okay. so the well, other I one, like for, the audio guy, can change the music. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> so, for those of you who have been to one of our recent Mix You live events, um, I've been the one who's gotten scolded for being um, concerned about vocabulary words, and so um, I think. <laughs> Maybe Lee Lee called me Mr. SAT or something at some point last time. You call him so Socrates. One, that's your name. Socrates. That's right. Socrates. So yeah. this one particularly Dude. resonates with me because this guy doesn't know anything about grammar. First of all, there's misspellings all over the place. He doesn't understand the difference between two, two, and two, or your and your. And uh, I just love this picture. We need to post this picture on our social yeah. media. We, I, we could probably we uh, should post it. 
I'm going to take a red no, Somebody take a red pin to it and fix it and then we'll post it. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> so it says music's music's great, but seriously, with the smoke and lights, you guys think you're a concert. Y O U R, a concert. It does not feel genuine. You're too concerned with appearances. Y O U R and then T O, concerned with appearances. Appearances is spelled A P P E R A N C E S. You cannot worship with all that distractions. All that distractions is good grammar. Maybe and you no need period. not to take. It's right. Maybe you need not to take advice from Hillsong United or from children. <laughs> <laughs> from children. That's the best part. So good. Hillsong United or children because they're one. They're the one and the same. No. Yeah, I think they're. That's. And the the icing on the cake is this was written as a prayer request on a prayer re- request submission. <laughs> So perfect. Uh, that is crazy. Dude, this is solid gold right here, guys. Yeah, so I'm keep those you. coming, guys. Yeah. Uh, even if great. it's just fodder for our amusement, I think we can all get a kick out of it. So um, take a photo of these complaints that you get, email them, or uh, send them to us via social, and we will keep them coming because this is just hilarious to us. Well, Lee, I think it's time once again. It's... It's my turn again. It is time for the soapbox. Okay. Well, I got one. Let me guess. Our favorite Facebook group strikes again. Ding, ding, ding. Circle gets a square. How did you get that, Jeff? (laughs) This is such a hard one to distinguish every time. I got to lean in on this one. Okay. So So, this is one of the ones. let Let me just preface this by saying that This is one of the ones where when you read the question and then you see that instantly there are 273 comments after the question, you know it's going to be fodder for the soapbox. So for those of you guys who pay attention to that particular Facebook group, just know that when you see a post like this, it might show up on the Mix You podcast. Just saying. Well, the problem is like half the posts now have that many replies. So... We'll, wait, sorry, I just spoiled our January soapbox. We'll get to that one later. <laughs> okay, so the, the, I think I, I get these all confused, right? But I think this one all came from a post, a guy innocently and ignorantly, you can do both of those at the same time, made um, a gentleman from Nigeria asked a simple question that has clearly simple answers. What is the best line array? And that's it. Wow. And then the floodgates stinking opened, man. Dear God so, in heaven. I, I don't I don't know where to start, but basically I feel sorry for the guy because it's probably a genuine question. I, if I'm just going to just assume a lot, a guy in Nigeria asking questions for his church in Nigeria. Okay, don't forget that. I cannot tell you how many people replied with things with a range of... Just every speaker, right? I think there was like three or four hundred replies by the end of this thing. But, you know, when I first see it and there's probably 200, I just immediately want to start replying with gifts of Kanye West, like rolling his eyes or shaking his head. <laughs> but then I'm like, this this guy needs help. Like, what's going on here? And then you see people arguing over, no, L Acoustics, no, DNB, no, RCF, no, Danley. And then you find out the guy that's posted about Danley works for Danley. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Danley Danley doesn't even make line arrays. (laughs) They don't even make a line array speaker. Right. So the guy's like immediately trying to say, well, you shouldn't buy line arrays. And then you've got other guys that are going, well, I sell speakers. Let me know if you need help. I'd love to come visit. And then this one I did reply to. I said, "Um, great. He lives in Nigeria. So since you're soliciting on here, I'm fully expecting you to go visit him and him not pay a dime for your help. <laughs> <laughs> so that was awesome. Wow. And then it was also awesome seeing all the Danley engineers and salespeople talk about Danley when clearly they should be fixing the Georgia Dome right now. I don't know why they even have time to look at Facebook. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> Sorry. Shots fired. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's pretty intense I, mean, what, I don't know what else to say it's out there 
There. There's a soapbox for you. It's there, out you. in the wild. You guys want to add anything? I just think... <laughs> Great. I just Thanks. think that... Thanks. All, no, no, no. <laughs> I just think that all of our listeners should stay tuned because the soapbox is by far my favorite segment that we do. And our upcoming podcasts are going to have some super special soapboxes. So... Yeah. Thank you for your... And uh, our soapbox is turning into like a soap riser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Soap bleachers. Yeah. And I did put a poll on CSMT a month ago or so asking two questions. Do you work for a church or do you... No, the question was, do you work for a church and no one else or not another company? And the second option was... I work for a company who provides services for church and the responses were really interesting. What was even more interesting is how defensive people got as to what my motives were for asking the question. And I never said anything about it. So maybe we'll reveal that soon. You're kind of an ornery person, <laughs> also aren't you? An, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I am. I'm just passionate guys. I'm just passionate. Yeah. It's just passion. And then there was a post uh, about uh, 501c3s and private inurement and things like that, which that one will be really interesting to talk about. That's coming too. Stay tuned. We got a big surprise for that one. Guys, I'm so excited about our interview this episode. And Andrew, you went to see Rush a few weeks ago and got connected to our interviewee for this episode. So why don't you tell us about that experience how you met him and what we're going to hear from him today. Yeah. I've been a rush fan forever. And, uh, and man, Brad, I mean, when I was a drummer, I listened to rush all the time. I mean, who hasn't. And so following the guy who mixes them now, as I'm, I'm a front of house mixer. Um, it's just been something I've really paid a lot of attention to. So that last rush show I saw, there were so many things going on that were blowing my mind with just um, the way they were doing two massive drum kits and the way they've, they've incorporated live strings into some of their shows and all kinds of stuff. So I just felt we had to track down uh, Brad Maddox, their front of house guy. And he's also just basically a, it's a who's who of rock and roll that he's been mixing. So um, with somebody with such an impressive resume and, and so many cool things going on under the hood of his mix. Uh, we just thought it'd be really appropriate to bring that, you know, to our listeners. So let's, uh, let's get rocking and see what Brad's got to say. Mix you interview Brad Maddox part one. Brad has mixed a lot of bands like all of them. Basically bands responsible for this mix you poem. Hey Tom Sawyer, this crazy train is headed for Sweet Home Alabama. Don't stop believing cause Jesus better take the wheel before this Jet City woman falls down in a hole. The dead leaves on the dirty ground will cause an eruption. Whose bed have your boots been under, Buddy Holly? Ironic? Brad, thanks so much for joining us, man. Can't say... Uh, oh. how much of a privilege it is for you to join us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here. I, I, I've been loving the podcast, guys. Great. Really, really good stuff. Well, thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, Thank you. Uh, we've had some good guests on, so uh, you're, uh, you should be in uh, you should be in good hands, hopefully. Hopefully we won't care <laughs> much for this one. Well, you made, Sam, you made those guys sound pretty smart, so. Uh, yeah. Well, I just have so, uh, to say, just for a second, I mean, I'm looking over your resume and I'm looking at these bands and I'm going, this guy, I mean, Linkin Park, Rush, Jack White, Van Halen, Shakira, and then Jessica Simpson. What is up with that? I mean, <laughs> you got me rocking and then all of a sudden I'm going, okay, Jessica Simpson. Yeah. But then you get me back with Rage Against the Machine, uh, Queensryche, Shania Twain, Def Leppard. I mean, you talk about diversity. That's yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's a little eclectic. Um I like that. It's, uh, I mean, I guess it kind of skews heavy rock, but, uh, I, I have, uh, um, I think it's important to have a good music appreciation and, uh, all of those have been, by the way, like really pretty good people, which is the, the bottom line. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, 
I, uh, so I'm looking through the same list and I, one kind of jumped out at me a little farther down the list, mm. Jeff, we keep going. Um, so psychedelic furs. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> so, uh, circa when, 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 when Oh when? God, what would have been, um, late, uh, like mid late eighties. Um, yeah, I had toured with them as a, Actually, I was a keyboard tech when I first worked with those guys for uh, for Roger O'Donnell, uh, who went on to be in The Cure. And yeah. uh, um, I uh, went uh, next tour. I was the monitor guy, and the next tour I was the front of house guy. Um, they, I loved working with those guys. Great, great band. Actually, really, really good songwriters. Well, I I liked that because I did a back in uh, let's see. I think it was 06, 2006, they did a, just an East Coast run, mm. you know, that was kind of starting the resurgence of a lot of 80s bands. Mm. It's a whole plan to a whole new generation. And I did a run with them. And I remember listening to them and hearing them in all these cool movies and all that stuff. Mm. And did a run on the East Coast. It was a few weeks long. And I think it was all through Christmas. Right. Um, like, I think it was one of those where, you know, you spent Christmas Day in a hotel somewhere, you know. Right. Eating at Denny's or something like that. As you do. <laughs> yeah, as you do. So uh, I, that was really cool. I, I was like, well, now he, he toured with them when they weren't on a reunion tour and they were actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, it was, uh, it was the wrong. band. Yeah. Uh, I, I, they had great songs, really good songwriters and, yeah. um, you know, devoted to the, devoted to their craft. I mean, uh, they were, they were certainly good enough players, but uh, really, really took care of their music and their show, you know, took a, took a, it was important to them to get everything right. And they did. Well, I they're, think. Uh, they're all very much artists. Um, just, it was, it was a weird grouping of, or not weird. It was just an interesting grouping of people when we put them all together and we did some rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we did rehearsals in uh, Woodstock, New York. And that's where uh tar player lived. Yeah. He, he's lived up there for a while actually. And, um, yeah. I want to say Richard lives up in New Hampshire, Vermont, or something like that. I think he was out of New York City then, <clears throat> uh, mm-hmm. uh, doing a lot of painting and like real, right. like true art. I know his. He handed me his laptop one right. night because he had a, the front house or the pre show music on it. Right, and it's just covered in paint splatters and and uh, <laughs> chalk and you know all kinds right. of stuff because he's kind of lives in an art studio. Yeah, and he's he's. <laughs> He's a very bohemian artistic guy, and I haven't yeah. I haven't seen him in uh, a long time. I ran into him in a in a hotel bar, as a matter of fact, <laughs> like a long time. It's that was a long time ago. So, uh, he, uh, yeah, good stuff, good people. That's interesting. That was interesting just to see that pop up because that was a, uh, you know, we're talking here like like Jeff said, some pretty rock and heavy bands, and I ran across Sunfers mm-hmm. and I was like, all right, we're talking. It's good. So one one other question about your resume because yeah. another name that pops out to me is Bruce Hornsby. Yeah, and so you, you mentioned you were a keyboard tech first for Psychedelic Furs. So talk to me about Bruce Hornsby's piano sound live. Because oh that is yeah, obviously a a signature thing for him. So when you're mixing for that in a in a live setting, what does that piano setup look like? Because I know a lot of our listeners deal with piano setups all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear. Your thoughts. So, your okay. To that. So, so this was 1994. So things may have changed in that world. <laughs> but <laughs> what we did then was, and I, I have done some versions of this since. Uh, sort of the foundation of the sound was a help and still. Um, uh-huh. And <clears throat> we we took. Uh, he had a. I mean, he had a huge Baldwin grand piano that we carried, and uh, we, it was a. Oh boy, I want to say a five-bar helping still. It was, and, and then there was a little um, mixer preamp. So the, wow. but but they're like it's a you know the uh, if you so for those of y'all who have never seen one, it's a bar about a foot and a half long. It's basically a giant guitar pickup, and uh, you put it in under the strings or over the strings if you have the right mounts, and you 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 are doing kind of what you would do to a um, electric guitar. Uh, like an electric guitar, they can be a little bit noisy. Um, we took the five bars through uh, DIs and brought them into five channels in the desk, and um, 
I popped every other channel out of phase. It was like a humbuck. I made a humbucker. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. Uh, yeah, and then so you had, you know, you you played with the uh, EQ and and uh, so forth with each individual bar, and then on top of those five channels, there were at least I want to say two four fourteens. He had the lid closed. You almost have to in, in anything with any volume. And he had the uh, two 414s mounted uh, to the harp inside, um, fairly close to the hammers. And then um, way down at the end, in one of the holes in the harp, we mounted a, uh, uh, I think it was a Barkisberry, little Barkisberry pickup that, uh, to the actual wood in the hole. And wow. uh, so those several things... Put together made uh, the guitar the guitar sound the the, the piano sound. Um, so that's about eight channels of stuff yeah, coming to your console. Eight channels of piano, yeah. That sounds good. Right, luck yeah. with phase problems and timing. <laughs> well, uh, that I mean. Well, yeah. you you can get away with it because yes, there's fa- obvious phase. But the piano is one of the the most difficult instruments to make to amplify. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say, boy, if you have the opportunity, just get a MIDI piano <laughs> and do that. But you know, this, to to keep it to keep it the, a real piano sound and make a really good piano sound and and amplify it in any significant way, uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. It's really really difficult, and uh, you can get away with some some of the phase quote unquote phase problems. There certainly are are many. But you're talking about elements that don't sound anything alike. So it's not like you're putting one thing out of phase with another. Uh, you're just bl- you're blending them to make. So you're trying to capture the sound of the wood. You're trying to capture the sound of the hammers. You're trying to capture the sound of the strings, uh, and put them all together. Um, it's. Uh, do, you, do you remember when when you were mixing that that many channels of piano was? Would you get it set and pretty much okay? That's the sound, and go with it for the set for the show, or would you continually be adjusting, um, trying to find the right nuance as the humidity change, as the temperature change, and all that stuff during a show? Well, uh, the truth is, I wa- I would like to say I said it and left it. But <laughs> it's just it's not realistic. Uh, there, um, he. Uh, he he would play so dynamically. I mean, he's a uh, first of all, he's an unbelievable piano player. So square one, you know, check that box. You don't have to worry about trying to make it somebody who's playing with their fists sound good on the piano. <laughs> he uh, he had he, you know great technique, and there's a really good sound of piano. So you you've got the building block. So it wasn't like yeah. I was pulling something out of thin air. Um, the truth is there was adjustments. I mean, there are any, I, anything, any show I've ever done. I mean, I could probably count on one hand the number of shows I did where I didn't touch anything. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to fiddle. And I also think that's just part of, as engineers, that's what we do. We just can't, even if it was great, you'd still, you'd still mess with it. That's well, good. there's so many knobs and buttons. They're fun to mess with. That, that's, that's true. And they're very, it's very tempting. So I want to put out a, a console with one knob on it one day, and then just be—you'll just hold on to it and watch the show. So, uh, so with, with the four fourteens, was it? W- yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, we we can edit, but um, with the four fourteens, was it a high low setup, or was it kind of an X Y thing, or how did you? No, high high low. I mean, so ideally, when you're micing a piano in a studio or in a, a, a situation wasn't high gain, you would open the piano up and you'd put two mics. Right on it, and you would you would get the mics arranged in the right way, but because because of the the uh, nature of the beast, you have to close that piano, and there was a gasket around the lid of it, as I remember, to seal the you know there's a drummer and there's a bass player and there's a guitar player, so um, that you you know the the 414s are gonna be four inches from something. So you would, I think we put the bottom one uh, where the strings cross in the harp, the low end strings cross in the harp, kind of, you know, not 
you know, a little bit back, so you're picking up uh, more more uh, uh, range of the piano, and then the high end one, um, kind of like right where his right hand would normally sit. And uh, since then, I've had a I did a, a, some shows with X Japan, and they have a piano. Uh, it's, it's actually a, acrylic and clear, which is another challenge, but. Um, we use some DPA mics that they make a nice little, uh, magnetic mount that actually just sort of sticks to the harp. And we did some, uh, interesting things with trying to find, to, with miking the holes in the harp. Yeah. Um, and that was actually the, uh, the Japanese monitor engineer kind of walked me through what they'd done before. And, um, so we actually put mics in the holes of the harp and, um, I kind of, you know, that was, and, and, and again, we also had a help and still, and we also had 414s. Uh, that that instrument in particular has so many things going on. Uh, oh. You know, you, you when you stand there and listen to someone play a piano, you're hearing all sorts of elements, you know, and it's, uh, it's difficult to just say, well, you know, I'm just going to have a left and a right of that. Um, not, in a set, not in a setting where you have to really turn it up. Because you're dealing with uh, uh, game before feedback and other instruments, so yeah, I think you're you're going to be hard pressed to do that in a in a couple of three channels, you know. That's so really for cool. the guys that are uh, so for the guys that are worried about their drum sound from being enclosed in a, in a plastic <laughs> drum shield, it could be worse. Don't worry, for you guys, it can always be worse. Yeah. If you have a plastic piano. <laughs> yes. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, we remember that, that when you do that with a drum shield, you're doing it because your drums are making something else sound horrible. <laughs> that, or I'm sorry, it's not the fact that your it's not the fact that your drums don't sound good. It's the fact that your drums are bleeding into something else, and that something else is yeah. making your drums sound bad. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so Rush. Yeah. I just have a list of questions about the drum kit. Obviously, people are going to want to hear. <laughs> Yeah, you just want to take the next forty-five minutes and read the input <laughs> list. <laughs> um, it's probably about seven pages long. Uh, maybe not as bad as you think. I think we had thirty, depending on the tour, depending on what we were doing with electronic drums. It would be thirty-two to thirty to forty, say thirty in that range. So, I mean, obviously, it's a big kit, and obviously, we're trying to, you know, mic everything close. Uh, so we can, you know, make everything clear. Um, I want, so it was like, you know, two kick mics, two snare mics. He had a second snare, which we had two mics on, uh, you know, 20 toms, whatever it was. Um, it, was it, at, it really is like toms, huh? At a minimum, it was eight. Sort of like the, the low, at the low end, it was eight, uh, we, uh, you know, a pair of overheads. Um, okay, oh, we had you a few. Do the whole kit with just a pair of overheads. Well, let's well, let's talk about that because uh, I kind of on those tours, on those rush tours, I, I started I started mixing those guys. Um, well, I mixed a part of the Roll the Bones tour because Robert had had gone away to do Def Leppard, but when I really took on the job as my own was in. Uh, uh, 2002 vapor trails whatever that was so um over the course of time i really started using the overheads way way more um and and i started thinking of them thinking of them not so much as cymbal mics because i used to really think of them as cymbal mics and i kind of started looking at them as like really good i kind of started thinking of the whole thing as like the bottom of the kit and the top of the kit and the two overheads were really miking the top of the kit. Mm. Not just, you know, like it became more and more important to f get a snare sound through the overheads. Right. Uh, and more important to position them. So I was getting, when he did a Tom roll, I was getting uh, Toms through the overheads. Um, and kind of the symbols sort of are the easy part. They're going to get into everything anyway. <laughs> so did you, so did you, um, and I mean, I started out as a drummer, and I think I, everything I learned was from Neil playing, you know, with, with Rush. So sure, I can imagine. Um, did you did you have to compress those overheads 
to control the symbols, or did you put them up and and do some a little bit of cleanup EQ and just ride it? Or well, we how you get that balance because he's he's a pretty hard player up top. So, well, I think when I came along, he was less so. Like I remember, he sort of like your classic idea of Neil as a player was really a basher. Like he would hit really really hard. But by the time I came along. He had kind of remade his cell, uh, his technique. You know, he he was so. In fact, I we did we very rarely did anything that was like a broadcast, like a TV show. And I realized one time was, when we did do one, uh, I was trying to get across to the guy how to treat the how to treat him as a player, and I actually said, "Think of it as a jazz drummer. He's not. I mean, it's rock." But his technique really, really changed to jazz. And with that in mind, um, I, I, EQ, I mean, you know, obviously we EQ'd the overheads and obviously we did brighten them a bit, right? Um, but I was struck by how much low end we, and I, coming up, I used to be like, that was a, you put the overheads up so you could hear the cymbals at, you know, at all, uh, you know, and, you would chop the low end out of them and brighten them, and that was what you were trying to get was uh, was symbols. But in the end, with him and I, my approach now is they're really just top of kit mics. They're not, and I yeah. I could totally imagine boosting around two hundred to get some bottom end on the snare. You know, uh, we typically would find something ugly up in the two and a half or three k range that we'd we'd sit on and yeah. And not unusually something in that mid middle at six hundred sort of boxy area that we would sit on, but it turned into more of a matter of getting a, a top of the kit sound. Van Halen was the same way in the end. It was like we had um, close mics, obviously, but we really kind of had the kick drum and the top of the kick, and th- those were uh, those were fundamental to those sounds. Um, but that was an evolution for me. I didn't start mixing that way i started like the way basically every live engineer starts which is just i just want to hear some symbols you know right that's a really interesting approach so i think you know as an exercise even i think it's a great idea if if we could just to you know to help ourselves get better to go okay what what can i do to capture the sound of the kit through the overheads right and then use use the kick and snare as supplemental mics and just see you know as a, as a way of improving my craft and improving my technique, like what can I do with fewer mics and well, make it sound more, you know, yeah, realistic? I would almost suggest try sometime, maybe not, you know, and if, if you have time to play, try going and getting a kick drum sound, going and getting a snare sound. And then before you do anything else, while the guy's hitting the snare, turn the overheads on. And and listen to what you have because I went down this road for years and years where I, the last thing I listened to was the overheads. Um, I mean, I did find you know we had to compress them a little bit, and I found like if I just because I mean the the loudest thing on Rush's stage is the snare drum. Uh, I found if I just sort of s- just tickled the compressor with the snare drum. Uh, the overheads, I mean, on the overheads, like just tickled the compressor with the snare drum. Here's another thing that that and you know people probably probably already know this is no big secret, but take a take take a tape measure and measure the distance from the middle of your snare to your two overheads, and really take a minute to get the two overheads the same distance from that snare. It it can look crazy, like the overheads won't be the same height. Necessarily, depend, depending on what else is going on. Uh, but if you can find a place where the overheads are the same height above the cymbals and the same distance from the snare at the same time, um, your snare drum sound suddenly gets way tighter, like uh, way more, way clearer. I mean, think of it the other way. If you have your, your snare drum mic as your primary snare drum sound, and, you know, I mean, it will be anyway in the end, but then you have two other arrival times at two different overhead mics. Uh, it just, it, it makes it so much more natural sounding when you line those things up. 
Because if they're all different, then you can't really bring in your overheads without causing weirdness. And yeah. so you might think the problem is your symbols, but it's actually a, a timing thing. Timing thing with your overheads. But like the base if, relationship between the, the overheads and the snare. Yeah, but even if you leave the snare mic and don't worry about time aligning the snare mic to the overheads, although that's something you could play with, and I think people do that. Even if the snare just gets into the two overhead mics at about the same time, it just sounds like distant mics on the snare as opposed to uh, this sort of smeared uh, three arrival time mess, you know? That's cool. Uh, So this is really interesting because, Brad, I just recently came back into the world of overheads um, from... I had I heard you talking about this. Yeah. Like you, you're like really anti symbol. Am I getting that right? Like, and it's so weird because I grew up as a drummer. I I mean that's hmm. I thought I when I moved to Nashville I thought I was going to be God's gift to drumming. Yeah, twenty one. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I send you pictures of some of my kits, guys. Yes. Bring me another Tom Tom. Let me tell you something. I gave the finger to overheads a long time ago and just kept at it. But but uh, you know we've talked about this before. I came back into that, and we've actually been demonstrating some of that at some of our live live events. Yeah, uh, listening to the kit with some of my kit mixes with overheads and the kick mic, just old school Led Zeppelin type stuff. Right. Talk about but the I, '70s. I mean, that's yeah, right. But yeah. it to- you're totally right. I have a little bit of compression filtering going on and all that kind of stuff, but it works. But I'm going to tell you guys right now for everybody to hear. I'm going to go buy a freaking tape measure. And, uh, <laughs> I bet you someone can loan you one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to figure this out. I'm not, I'm not the most handy of guys, but I'm sure I can find a tape measure. So we, I, this was something I, I started doing, and um, that uh, it was, a, you know, it was like game-changing exactly, but it definitely, I definitely feel like my snare drum sound got better when I started paying attention. I mean, listen, you know, that guy hits the snare drum, it's the, probably the loudest thing in the overheads, but yeah, right. I went for two decades without really thinking twice about the relationship between the snare drum and the overheads. It was all about uh, the snare, you know, trying to pick up some symbols here and there. So I think it's That's a, really cool. I think it's back to you know, back to that old, uh, you know, minimalist miking a, a kick um, yeah. as a drum set. But you can't. I mean, you know you. Ultimately, you're still going to have close mics. You can't get away with nothing. But uh, I think it's interesting. You, we're, it's interesting we're talking about minimalist drum miking with uh, with Russia's engineer, right? <laughs> now, and the last tour you did with yeah. them, there were two kits. Uh, wasn't yes. that the Rush Forty One? There were two kits, so they yeah. started. Yes. Well, how that how that work? They started, they started. They did. They did. Basically, the idea was to go back in time. So they started with the new music, yeah. and as the set just basically progressed further and further back into the eight, you know, nineties and eighties and seventies yeah. and eventually until a point there, I think they had like a, a cocktail kit and a, I don't know. So yeah. But at one point it there was, was unreal, a, guy. yeah, there was a major change. They, they, they went back to his old, um, set from the double kick drum yeah. and double floor toms. Yeah. So how That's many awesome. drum mics did you have on that tour? Because now you have two <laughs> biggest kits in the universe. Um, well, so uh, what we did, because it happened at a set change, what we did was we uh, we didn't actually add any channels. Uh, we flipped to uh, uh, a second. Um, we basically recalled a set of uh, inputs. So it was uh, slightly smaller, in fact, uh, for the cool. second half. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, it was a lot of you know, it was a lot of drum mics. It's, it's and it's fun to talk about. And it's a question I would get basically all the time, like how many drum mics do you have, right? How many drum channels yeah. are there, right? right. Uh, <laughs> I, I was the first thing I was thinking about when I watched that show. I was just like, oh god. I, mean, I would be tempted to say, well, basically three, <laughs> and then we just add mics in. Anyway. All right, folks, that does it for the end of part one of our interview with Brad Maddox. Can't wait for part two and part three. I've heard it. You guys haven't because you aren't us, but you wish you had had it. So stay tuned for the release of part two and maybe a part three with Brad. 
It's going to be awesome. He, he's so good that we, we actually talked about splitting this one up in three chunks. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Other than that, as we wrap, don't forget about what we got coming up next, people. We got three things to tell you real quick. January 20th, Stockholm, Sweden. So tell all of your Swedish relatives to come hang out with us in Sweden <laughs> on January 20th. January 24th, Anaheim, California. The third version of Mix U will return to Anaheim with lots of new things. We got to double the consoles, two consoles each. Andrew Stone's going to mix on an X32 and break the internet. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> the day before NAM, January 24th. Tickets are on sale right now. That one sold out last year. So if you sleep on this one, you're going to miss out and be a loser. Then we uh, gave you a teaser for Mix U All Access in Nashville, Tennessee the week after Easter 2018. Send us an email to reserve a spot. Info at mixu.rocks. That's first come, first serve. Be there, be square. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Without you guys, keep downloading this and sharing it. We wouldn't be doing it. So you guys are loving it. So we're just going to keep doing it. Uh, like, subscribe, share, rate. That's how we climb charts and other people find out about the podcast. So please do that. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at MixUrocks on all the platforms. And other than that, I think that's it, boys. Good job, Lee. That was a lot. It was a lot. Very well done. That was only my seventh time reading it. <laughs> Very well done, my friend. So long, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>